Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> How you doing today? Oh, tired, tired, tired. Just worn out. Just What's done. new in the brewery business? Um, we were having work, some troubles no with the uh, some troubles with the uh, the chiller, and oh. uh, so one day I get down there to the brewery. There's chiller problems, so I go straight up on the roof. I, I had no change time to get any breakfast or drink anything you know water no nothing go straight up on the roof the roof is like being in the middle of the sahara yeah except to painted white you go snow blind in about 15 minutes up there the whole roof is bright white with metal reflecting surfaces all over the place (laughs) and there's a enough of a parapet so you get no wind so you're just like frying up there's like being in a frying pan up there six hours Nothing to eat, nothing to drink, working on this thing. Oh, my God. I, by the end, I, I just had it. I just had it. Yeah. Done in. Hmm. No. And then we moved to Tank the other day, and uh, that had its moments of sheer terror, where I thought, yeah. if if not me, at least somebody was going to die as the tank moved past its tipping point and uh, started the wild plunge down. But uh, luckily... We had strapped it just perfectly. It caught the tank, and uh, <laughs> no damage to the tank. Nobody got hurt. Nothing, no damage anywhere. It just stopped. Wow. <laughs> just moments away from, from killing people. It's like, okay, that's good. So, yeah. that's that's the brewery life. All you people <laughs> that want to run a brewery, that's what you're looking for. Right there. <laughs> right there. How are you doing, Palmer? I'm doing really good. It's yeah. uh, you must it, you must be seeing the light at the end of the the water book tunnel. Then I have found the light, <laughs> um, or at least you know I'm standing at the at the exit. Um, Christy assures me that the only thing left to do is to look at the galleys in a couple of weeks. Mm. Um, so otherwise, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. How many Versus, how many pages do you think this thing's going to be? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Come it's with, somewhere around somewhere around eighty thousand words, I think. Oh, that's that's a good that's a good chunk yeah. of chunk of pages right there. Yeah, the uh, we this last month has seen probably fifty percent more content added. Mm. <laughs> it's it's been crazy just uh, realizing that we had some unanswered questions and knuckling down to try to answer them and. Um, everybody kind of pulling together to, uh, particularly AJ, um, doing lab work and the rest of us trying to figure out what it meant. Wow. And, um, 
you know, really good effort. Um, I think it's going to be a real valuable book for people. I'm I'm sure it will. Like like everything you've worked on. Uh, well, and, and and that's one of the things I wanted to uh, do today was was talk about um, you know one of the topics that seems to you know we get questions all the time about this about residual alkalinity and mash pH and and how they're interrelated and you know uh, we yeah, we got a question yeah. from a, a listener just just the just today or whenever it was Yest- where yesterday i think it was yeah, last night maybe where he's like you know pulling his hair out he's like all right so if i'm adding these dark grains later on in the mash you know what where do i adjust my residual alkalinity i'm like do it here do it there you know uh and you were responding with you know as you know as far as uh you know how long it takes for for some of these uh yeah, uh, buffering uh, capacities to to uh, come into play, and I mean, there's just so many factors there that it's driving people nuts. They're yeah. they're losing their mind for you know, <laughs> something like that. And me, I've always gone gone the look. Uh, you use the water you got. You know, maybe you throw in a handful of gypsum. There you go. Yeah. So uh, I'm no help to these people. <laughs> So I well, thought maybe I, maybe you the, could be. Yeah, it's it's a good it's a good topic for a whole show because, uh, boy, the minute you begin to scratch the surface, um, you realize how how deep it goes. Um, oh yeah, how the, deep it goes. Yeah. Well, but, and, um, and, and here's the other thing. You know, we did the the whole series of uh, the Water Ganza shows. Where yeah, it was like five shows. Where we talked about nothing but water, and we thought, "Hey, we've got it covered. This is all you <laughs> need to know about water." And the reality is, you and I are learning as we go too. I mean, oh yeah, we know yeah. a fair amount of things, but you know, we get exposed to some new ideas. We try some more things. We, you know, hear the latest thinking on this, and so you know, our our opinions get updated too, and our uh, you know tips for how to best brew. Uh, get uh, updated all the time as well, so it's kind of a, a good chance to revisit a very important part of the uh, of the water subject. I think. Yeah, well, I, I think um, I definitely want to do a couple of shows with Colin in the studio too, um, so we can turn we can talk about you know the different lessons learned in the water book as we as we were writing. Um, but certainly today we can we can start off with some of the basics and cover some of the basic basics again. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's, I mean, even even in this area, just residual alkalinity, there's a bunch of stuff that we learned in the book, or you know, during the course of writing the book, that um, it's good to you know it makes it good to start at the beginning and lay it all out again, mm-hmm. um, see some see some details. Right. Right. Well. Um I'll tell you what, uh, I want to talk about our fine sponsor, uh, Blickman Engineering. Ah, before he's we get a good man. Into the water. Absolutely. And uh, I'm surprised that Blickman Engineering doesn't have like the auto water corrector device <laughs> where you just put it there, you load it up with some common minerals, you stick your probe in your water. Swizzle and it, it around a away bit, and, does and then it, it just you. it just does it. It's like pumps and whirring things and maybe some blades and mixing and and there that comes go. like yeah. the perfect brewing water. <laughs> and a little steam whistle too. That'd be cute. 
He would probably put a steam whistle on it, sure. Yeah. sure. No, or there'd be something hydraulic. I don't know. Something yeah, hydraulic, I'm thinking. Actuator. Yes. Some <laughs> sort of actuator. That would, that would be the case. It may be a hydraulically actuated seat. So you could just sit by while this thing made the perfect water for you. You didn't have to think of it. That's the kind of innovation. Well, actually, they have better innovation than that. <laughs> yeah, they do, <laughs> and uh, and that's the kind of you know great stuff you can think uh, you can find at uh, BlickmanEngineering dot com. Check them out, uh, Blickman Engineering. They've been sponsoring the show for for years, uh, paying for the show so you don't have to. They and I think they do it really you know just out of the passion for home brewing, and they think that we actually provide some sort of reasonable service to the community, and. Um, I think that's just a great thing. So if you get a chance, go to BlickmanEngineering.com. dot com. Send John Blickman an email. Say hey, thanks for you know sponsoring the show. And most importantly, if you're going to be at the NHC in uh, Philly this year, yeah. stop by the booth. Say hi to John. Say hi to the other rest of the guys. I've I've sat with them and had dinner uh, numerous times. Out for drinks. They're all really nice people. A lot of fun to hang with. So uh, uh, don't be shy. Go in and introduce yourself. And uh, have a good time. Uh, speaking of having a good time, BNA8 is on yeah. my birthday. <laughs> is it really? June 26th. Yeah, it's my birthday. So I'm, I'm preparing to uh, I'm preparing to get my drink on. Have a All good right. time at BNA8. <laughs> Scott's looking at me like, well, how freaking old must you be? You well, still have birthdays? We have to rebrand the party now. Right. This yeah. is Jamil's birthday party that there coincides with our eighth anniversary. Um, it's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's always around my birthday. This year is actually on my birthday. So when everyone asks you that obnoxious, is it your actual birthday? You know, you get that like twelve times a day. You can go, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's actually my birthday. So I'm looking forward to it. If you're gonna be around the Philly area in June, uh, I suggest getting yourself a ticket to. Uh, the anniversary party before the sold out, they're probably probably gone. They're down to the last few. Close, yeah. There's a few left, but only a few. Yeah. So if you don't have a ticket yet, you better jump on it and come and party with me at my birthday, man. All right, let's All do right. this. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll get into residual alkalinity and the mash pH and all that good stuff right after this. When you hear Blickman Engineering, think innovation, passion, quality, and customer service. Blickman Gear is designed by brewers to give you a sense of pride in your equipment. At Blickman, they know what makes brewing a pain and build gear that makes it fun. Like the Intuitive Beer Gun, a completely different approach to filling bottles. The Therminator Wart Chiller, a new take on a plate chiller that's sized for flow, performance, and the high groundwater temps homebrewers face every day. The Brewmometer, a brilliant weld thermometer design with brewing parameters right on the dial. The auto sparge, ultimate simplicity for preventing an overflow or running your mash tun dry. And much more, like the modular top-tier brewing stand, conical fermenters, and their boiler maker brew pots. With more cutting-edge equipment coming soon, keep up with the latest from Blickman at BlickmanEngineering.com and stay on the cutting edge. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. 
More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanishev, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a backseat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. nearly 15 years, homebrewers have been served by one place in Michigan where you can buy yourself a serial killer grain mill. Adventures in Homebrewing. Did you try all those great Michigan beers at the National Homebrewers Conference in San Diego or Seattle? Adventures in Homebrewing delivered. Did you see a great false bottom in your buddy's cooler or brew kettle? Adventures in Homebrewing delivered that. And did you see that great custom-built brew stand? Yep, Adventures in Homebrewing delivered. Since 1999, Adventures in Homebrewing in Taylor, Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and online at homebrewing.org has been serving homebrew across the globe. Check out their innovative 2.5-gallon keg with metal handles, great homebrew kits, and the fully adjustable Serial Killer Grain Mill. Visit them in Philly for the 2013 National Homebrewers Conference. Not going to make it? Check out all the fun of adventures in homebrewing at homebrewing.org. For a limited time, coupon code BNETWORK will slam 10% off your order. Bam! Adventures in Homebrewing. Join the adventure at the Great Lakes Home for Homebrewing Supplies online at homebrewing.org. And don't forget coupon code BNETWORK for a limited time. Join the adventure today. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Alright. We're back. We're back. We're brewing strong. Yes. <laughs> I love this. Scott put up a, uh, a clock in the studio now. It's only been like <laughs> six years I've been like, how come we don't have a clock? Well, in Justin's defense, it was eleven dollars at Lowe's. That is that is going to break the BN budget. Uh, you know, if you want to help with stuff like that, uh, you know, support our great sponsors like uh, Blickman Engineering. You can buy stuff in the in the BN store. Books. They got those cool stainless growlers. All sorts of stuff like that will help Justin afford things like a clock for the studio. There mm-hmm. you go. Yeah, those growlers are really awesome. Yeah, I was checking one out this past weekend. Oh, I, I haven't seen one yet. That's that's how high I rank in the BN Army. <laughs> They're badass. They keep beer cold uh, for like a day, like refrigerator cold. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe somebody would give me one for my birthday. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll you mean BN Eight? Yes. 
maybe that will happen. Who knows? Uh, the TSA will probably take it away from you when you try to get back on the plane. <laughs> probably. Especially when you tell them it's called a warhead. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. my warhead. What? <laughs> then I'll be ready for the zero gauge at Adam and Eve. Um, all right. So we're going to talk about residual alkalinity, and, and I don't want to go back over the, the, the whole basics of of water and, and brewing and, and its importance to, to brewing. You know, it's most of your ingredient yeah. in beer is water. So yeah. obviously it's, it plays an important role. But what I, what I would like is if you could kind of go over again, you know, what is residual alkalinity, you know, how that... Sure. Is differentiated between total alkalinity, residual alkalinity. You know, what what exactly are we talking about there? Okay. Um, The big picture is that we are concerned about mash pH. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We want the grist and the water to come together to create a mash pH that is in the optimum range. What's the optimum range? Well, a lot of discussion about that among the experts, but it appears to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 5.2 to 5.6 at measured at room temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, the enzymes work well in that range. Um, they actually work even better if you get above the range, so you get up around 6. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If um, if you make the mash at, at a pH of 6 and then you start your boil and you add your hops, uh, that high a wort pH will cause a different, harsher bitterness in your boil. You, it'll be like you've used a, uh, a different hop variety, a little harsher hop variety uh, than what you'd intended. Mm-hmm. So if the wort pH can change your, your beer character that way. Um, because of the way the hops isomerize. But going back to your water, um, when you look at a water report, you're interested in, in mainly six items. The calcium uh, concentration, magnesium concentration, your alkalinity. Most likely you'll see a parameter called total alkalinity is calcium carbonate. Or you might see a bicarbonate concentration is PPM. Um, just for everybody's information, parts per million is equivalent to milligrams per liter. Um, if you do the metric conversions and so on, it's really the same unit. Parts per million is equivalent to, to milligrams per liter. Um, so you may see bicarbonate concentration or you may see total alkalinity is calcium carbonate. Total alkalinity is calcium carbonate is more of what you want to see um, because that gives you the complete picture. When calcium carbonate dissolves in water, you get calcium coming off, of course, but you also get the carbonate, and the carbonate um, transforms into three different species depending on the, the pH. It can either exist as CO3, which has a minus two charge, HCO3, which has a minus one charge, or H2CO3, carbonic acid, which is has no charge. Um, H2CO3, carbonic acid, will in turn break down into carbon dioxide and water. So um, when we talk about 
acidifying water to get rid of the carbonates to get rid of alkalinity what we're doing is we're we're driving all we're driving the pH of the water lower so that all those carbonates convert to carbonic acid and from carbonic acid to carbon dioxide and water the carbon dioxide vents and gets out of the system that's how that gets eliminated um, total alkalinity measures uh, by titration um, everything, all the carbonates that are in your water from the initial water pH, let's say it's 8, you know, 7.5, 8, you add acid and you titrate it down to um, a pH of 4.3 or 4.5, at which point you've um, neutralized 99% of the, the alkalinity in the water. You've converted about 99% of it to uh, carbonic acid. That the amount of acid you use to do that um, is in measured in milliequivalents is the total alkalinity as calcium carbonate. So that's why that number is important. From there, we look at how the calcium and magnesium interact with that, um, and that quantity is known as residual alkalinity. It was, um, uh, I guess, invented or it was um, uh, described by Paul Kolbach in, 19, in the 1950s. And he's a German brewing scientist, and he says that it takes uh, three and a half milliequivalents of calcium to neutralize one milliequivalent of, um, of alkalinity. So what you do is you look at your water report, and you look at the calcium concentration, the magnesium concentration, and your total alkalinity put them in equation and what you get is you get this neutralization effect um, as soon as you make your mash this much of the alkalinity will be neutralized by the calcium and magnesium reacting with the malt phosphates to neutralize that alkalinity and that's what that's what residual alkalinity is that's how much alkalinity is left over that's going to affect your mash ph you with me so far Jamil? uh yeah i probably have to listen to it two or three times and i'll, I'll... I was afraid of that. Right in there with you, sure. Okay, quick recap. Uh, Residual alkalinity is the result of calcium and magnesium in the water and in the malt reacting with the phosphates in the malt. Um, In doing so, they create a compound called, well, it's a calcium phosphate compound called apatite that releases a couple of protons. Those protons or hydrogen ions um, react with the alkalinity and convert your bicarbonate to car- carbonic acid or your carbonate to bicarbonate and so on. And that's what eliminates some of this alkalinity that's in the water. So what you're left with is what we call the residual alkalinity, how much alkalinity is left. And that residual alkalinity is what is present that's going to drive your mash pH up rather than down to your target level. Um. So that's that's residual alkalinity in a nutshell. Well, and 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 what's happening normally with the 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 mash, the the grains that we use in beer? Uh, if you were to grind these up, throw them in uh, some water, it it's driving the the pH of the of the water down. The mash, the entire right. mash, of the pH wants to go down. What's really stopping it from going down and, and reaching a certain point is this residual alkalinity. Exactly. 
So too much residual alkalinity, pH doesn't go low enough, harsher bitterness, uh, not as ideal a fermentation perhaps, and uh, you know maybe not as uh, nice a finish on the beer or crisp a finish on the beer. That's correct. Yeah. So the, the, you touched on the fermentation, and it's a good point to bring this up. The a good fermentation can do a lot to to correct a beer, uh, to correct a poor brew. Let's say, um, you know, if if the if the mash pH is high going into the boil, um, the you know the boil the act of boiling will drop the pH a couple of tenths. Uh, then you get to your fermentation. Um, if this is, you know, if this wort is a little high going in, the the yeast and a good fermentation will do a lot to bring that down. Uh, the yeast and metal, metabolic processes also bring the pH of the wort down. So um, you can have a poor mash that's, you know, too high a temp, uh, too high a pH. And a good fermentation will do a lot to correct that and make it into a beer that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with a high beer pH is that the the beer tends to taste a little dull, a little lifeless. Uh, there's not there's no doesn't seem to be any life to it um, or brightness. I like to call it. Um, and vice versa, if you know if your pH due to dark grains or what have you, is too low going into fermentation. Again, the fermentation will do a lot to uh, to bring it up a little bit or to you know, smooth it out. Um, but again, if your beer pH is too low for the style, then the, the beer will taste a little bit sharp, a little bit one-dimensional um, because you know, the pH is just too low. Well, and that's one of the other factors that you have to take into account when you're trying to get your pH is, uh, you know, with more dark grains in there, they te- it tends to be a much lower pH in, in the mash if you're not controlling things versus, you know, an all-pale malt. So right. how how are you accounting for, I, I know you've got a chart, a nomograph in your, uh, in your uh, excellent in the book, uh, how, how to brew, brew. Uh, and it kind of helps you uh, figure out... Um, based on color, where you want your residual alkalinity to be, right? Yeah, and and what I learned in the course of the water book is that my nomograph was made with the best of intentions, mm-hmm. but it's a lot of arm waving and smoke and mirrors, and, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's maybe right half the time, mm-hmm. right, you know, to be, to be fair. It'll ball, um, ballpark you, though. I yeah, think, it, it you know. ballparks yeah. you, and it it gets the basic idea is correct. And if so, if as a brewer you look at that and say, "Oh, I'm brewing a dark beer. I need a little more alkalinity in my water," mm-hmm. versus brewing a pale beer where I don't want alkalinity, that is completely true. It's when you try to assign numbers to things mm-hmm. to say, I need this much alkalinity to brew this darker beer mm-hmm. that you really screw yourself up. Because it really depends on how you're developing that dark color, right? Yes. Whether it's something that's really highly kilned or something that's lower kilned and you're using more of it or and yeah. all the other grains that are in there. Or if they're like crystal malts, I, I think crystal malts right. add a certain amount of color but not as much. 
uh, acidity like the the darker malts the the roasted. well that's that's where it gets interesting yeah. um we've done a lot of titrations um over the last few years um kai troister started out uh, doing them several years ago and one of his findings was that um crystal malt like special b you know the darkest of the crystal malts mm-hmm. had the highest acidity hmm. of any malt you know, more acidic than, say, chocolate malt or black patent. Well, now, I'm not sure that that is necessarily a function of, because some crystal malts have a, like a steeping period where they build up some acidity. I know, like, um, what is it, special roast from Breeze, or there's the one where it's got, like, a tartness to it. And, yeah, um, there's that. You know, there may be that... Uh, they're maybe going through uh, some of them where they double malt the things. They get them wet. Maybe it's it's some lactic acid buildup. I don't know. It's like if you there's, took a, you there's know, that there's acid that, malt and, and throw it in. That's it's a real pale in color, but it's got lactic you know lactic acid all over it. So yeah, I think that you know there might be something in there as far as you know. I would imagine it has a lot to do with the maltster. Yes, that that is true. What um, based off research I've done in the in some of the technical journals, um, and there's a gentleman in Belgium by the name of Cohn, and um, I forgot the other guy's name, but they they did some real did some studies um, with different um, malts, um, different specialty malts, uh, the highly kilned caramel malts versus. Short roasted roasted malts and long roasted roasted malts, mm-hmm. and what they were able to show in a couple of different studies was that the the melanoidins change when you hit roasting temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, you shift from a yellow red melanoidin to a brown melanoidin mm-hmm. at around three hundred and twenty five to three hundred fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you, if you spend a lot of time with the caramel malt and take it up to, you know, as dark as you can get it, you know, at say 300, 325 in there. And then you, then you, and you pull some and test it and then you keep that bat, you know, the rest of the batch in the oven and now crank it up a little bit hotter to 350, um, and then pull some after 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes and so on as you get to higher temperatures. You see this shift in both the color of the malt and in the acidity of it. The acidity starts dropping. Um, They were able to show that um, acetic acid is a byproduct of the Maillard reactions. Mm -hmm. um, And that I believe their speculation at this point is that you have your highest concentration of acetic acid at your maximum color in the at below 350 hmm. above 350 the acetic acid starts off boiling off acid yeah yeah so that's part of it also the the fact that these these red melanoidins that are acidic themselves are polymerizing and converting to brown melanoidins mm-hmm. and so as that process continues you know at higher temperatures and longer times the acidity is also dropping mm-hmm. Well, see, like I was saying, there's some sort of acid in there. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. not uh, it's it's not as simple as um, you know just just color necessarily. It's it's so many things of how the the malt is being prepared. 
Very yeah. interesting. I hadn't heard uh, any of that. Uh, there's there's of that not been a lot of work done in this area. So, you know, I don't think it's conclusive, but certainly mm-hmm. it's... It makes it sense. Su- this is what, what the data suggests. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, and quite logical. Yeah. So what we're seeing in um, MASH is that depending on what proportion of, you know, different proportions of different specialty malts you use in a recipe, you may have a similar composite acidity between, say, a brown ale and a, and a dry stout, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, between a, like a West Coast blaster, you know, West Coast um, amber ale, you know, maybe more acidic than, say, a Schwarz beer, mm-hmm. even though they, you know, the Schwarz beer looks darker. Right, right. Um, and so that, you know, in terms of looking at my nomograph and how to brew, where you assign, oh, I need this much alkalinity to this darker beer, mm-hmm. that's where that all kind of falls apart is because there's different values of acidity for the different malts. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that if between two caramel 60 malts or two chocolate malts from different maltsters, really different acidities. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it um, depend on times and temperatures and uh, lactic you know, acid the, bacteria the, the, the and, you know, and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, this this is some of the stuff we were we found out hmm. during the course of the book. Well, and you know, I think that uh, you know, it's just a, a fascinating thing, and I'm I'm so glad that uh, you know Brewers Publications is is doing a a book like this. I think you know their their idea of doing yeast and, and water and malt and hops. I think it's a great idea. Really, the fundamental building blocks and going in depth and that's you know brewers publication is um you know it's kind of a separate entity i guess but it's part of the brewers association and and right. as, as is the aha and i think that uh you know and come to speak of it um you know i guess homebrewing is legal in all 50 states now uh yeah doing part two uh, efforts by the aha that's right. and uh i think they're just a, a great organization and, and worthy of our support because uh they're out there fighting the good fight for homebrewers and doing things like this, like, uh, you know, ensuring that uh, books like this water book are getting written. So I'm, yeah. I'm real pleased. If you if you get a chance, if you're not already an AHA member, I want you to go to the Brewing Network site, look for that AHA logo, and sign up. A little portion of that goes to the Brewing Network, helps Justin afford clocks for the studio, and... Um, uh, the rest goes to the HA. You get stuff like Zymergy Magazine, great magazine. And, and John, you've written stuff for, for Zymergy. Yeah. Uh, you get uh, the pub discount program. You come down to Heretic, you get discount, AHA discount. Uh, you get um, uh, members session you can you can get at uh, GABF. There's all just tons of stuff. Well worth it. Again, great organization and, and worth, uh, worth uh, supporting with your hard-earned dollars. Anyways, let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to hear more about, uh, you know, the, some of the new stuff you've figured out with residual alkalinity and, and adding salts to, to, the, uh, to the mash. All right, back after this. 
Hi, I'm Jason Harris, the proud owner here at Keystone Homebrew Supply. We're thrilled to be entering our 20th year of supplying this great industry. And to show you, the Brewing Network Army, how much we appreciate your support, we're offering you 10% off your first order on our website, keystonehomebrew.com. Just use coupon code BNARMY at checkout, and I'll get your order out the same day. My goal at Keystone Homebrew Supply has always been to have a complete supply of everything a brewer could want. When you place your order online or when you come into our store, it's our goal to have everything on your list and more. One aspect of KeystoneHomebrew.com that we're really excited about is the ability to fulfill customers' exact grain bills. Do you hate to wait? Keystone Homebrew Supply can get your precious yeast and hops to you within just one day if you live between Connecticut and Virginia and within two days east of the Mississippi. KeystoneHomebrew.com I'm Jason Harris and I approve this message. Ten, huh? Getting tired of that same old handcrafted beverages day after day? Are you looking for something with more diversity than your normal beer? Fellow BN Army member Michael Fairbrother, owner of Moonlight Meadery, is reviving an entire beverage category. Mead! The meads at Moonlight Meadery are all handcrafted from the finest honey on the market and are perfect for any occasion, like weddings, baby showers, or... Excuse me? Mead is not your average girly drink, mister, and Moonlight Meads can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere. Football games with the guys. Yeah. Barbecues with the guys. Yeah. Operating power tools with the guys. Yeah. Um, actually, sir, that's really dangerous. Good point, son. Next time you have something to celebrate or are just looking for a new tasting experience, pick up a bottle of mead from Moonlight Meadery. Now in 21 states, making over 60 varieties of mead from dry, semi-sweet to sweet. Break out of that craft beer low. Grab a bottle of Moonlight Mead. Can't find some? Then ask. No, make that demand some. Yeah! Have you ever been stuck with a last-minute brewing question? Maybe on a new piece of equipment or a recipe kit you haven't tried before. The Brewmeister knows how that feels and is here for you. The Brewmeister prides themselves on personal service and advice to all of their customers, whether in-store or online. The Brewmeister is a full-fledged home brew store, too, with all the ingredients and gear you need to make great beer and wine. You'll be glad you visited shopbrewmeister.com or one of their stores in Roseville or Folsom when you need to pick up the phone and get your brewing questions answered fast. Visit shopbrewmeister.com right now and see the personal difference the great team at the Brewmeister have to offer. If you visit today, use coupon code BNARMY and get 10% off your first order. Some conditions apply. The Brewmeister, personal service and advice with exceptional quality. Shopbrewmeister.com. A vial of White Labs yeast is the key to your best beer. When you open a vial of White Labs yeast, you're giving your beer its best chance for a perfect fermentation. In addition to their already incredible variety of yeast, White Labs is proud to announce WLP 90, San Diego's Super Yeast, now available year-round. WLP 90 is super clean, super fast fermenting, with low esters and has a neutral flavor and aroma profile. It's alcohol tolerant and highly flocculent. For more of the latest White Labs news, click over to whitelabs.com, where you can read reviews of yeast, learn in the lab section, and join the customer club. And if you should find yourself in San Diego, White Labs has a brand new training facility for craft brewers and home brewers alike. Whitelabs.com. Discover yeast, nutrients, enzymes, and more for commercial breweries, home brewers, and homebrew stores. White Labs. It's all in the vial. 
Back to your hosts, Jamil Zainashef and John Palmer. Putting the testicles in technical. This is Brew Strong. All right, so, John, we talked in the past about how you go about uh, adjusting your mash and things like that, but, um, you know, from, from discussing things with you uh, recently, it sounds like you've got some new uh, thoughts on how to uh, add your salts, new thoughts on uh, adjusting for residual right. alkalinity. Right. Um. I guess one one way to frame up this uh, my current views the way my views have changed on uh, the mash pH and adjusting the mash pH. You believe now every grain should be allowed to marry with every other grain, regardless of color. <laughs> if if it's married grain, yeah. It's just about um, who you love, man. Yeah. Um, where am I going with this? Uh, Your views. Well, Jamil, here here's the here's one way to frame it up. Yeah. You and I have talked about, you know, uh, our mash, you know, pH performance and, you know, over the over the last 10 years. We've talked about our performance over the, the years, yes. Yeah. And, you know, it's like you and I say, Jamil, how did you get to be so awesome? Um, <laughs> you would say, well, you know, I well. check. <laughs> I check my mash pH and I would add acid if it needed it and mm-hmm. let it go. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, damn, didn't add any much, you know, gypsum or calcium chloride or didn't, mm-hmm. you know, add any alkalinity. You just brewed. Mm-hmm. And he and he gave it a damn good fermentation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and you look at you look at other great brewers in the industry, such as Sierra Nevada and Stone and New Belgium. And yes, you know, I think putting, other, putting me uh, as a homebrew up there with uh, Sierra Nevada and Stone and New Belgium. <laughs> It's very. That's that's a good comparison right there. Yeah, yeah, but it is really. I mean, you look at you. I mean, because we're all basically doing the same thing. True, you know? true. Well, I, whether you're home brewing, commercial brewing, whatever, it's it's the same darn process. The mash yeah. as a home brewer is the mash as a as a professional brewer. Yeah. So you know, where did the differences come in? Well, I know I was always a little bit. Um, flabbergasted or bummed out or, you know, that professional brewers would just like acidify their water and mash and check the pH and, oh, we're good, go. And it's like, why does that work? Well, now I understand why that works. Um, mash pH, you know, if you get in that 5.2 to 5.6 range, you're good. Um, you've got, you've got half, more than half the struggle of getting your beer flavor to be expressed right to your palate. Um, there's a quote that I put in the book from a gentleman, a brewing scientist named Dave Taylor. This was in an article of his in the MBAA uh, in 1990. Um, he did a paper called The Importance of pH Control During Brewing. And he says, The key point for control of pH throughout the brewing process is during mashing. This is due to the major influence that can be exerted at this stage on the content and format of the buffer systems that will operate operate subsequent to the in the wort and beer. Let me say that again. That will operate subsequently in the wort and beer. So, by getting the pH right in the mash, 
you set the stage for getting the pH right during the boil and in the final beer. Mm-hmm. And so that's why mash pH is important. And that's what you, you know, with the way you were brewing, where you were, you know, checking your, checking your pH, um, acidifying if needing, you know, adding a little gypsum if you felt it needed it, and you would get these, you know, very tasty beers out. Um, that's why it works because you get, you set that pH up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's, I guess that's one change in my attitudes that's occurred over the last couple of years of working on this book is realizing that, that it's not a matter of, it's not a matter of getting all the right Legos, you know, in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a matter of actually building the structure that needs to be there uh, to get the get the beer flavor right. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to you know worrying about uh, minerals in the water, mineral concentrations, I want to emulate Dortmund water. I want to emulate you know um, Dublin water or you know Munich water, or this water or that water, Burton. Um, that's it's a step in the right direction because it gets you thinking about water. Mm-hmm. But the real key is measuring your pH. Right. I, I was, and what I was told early on was uh, when I first started all grain brewing. Chris Graham came out and showed me how to all grain brew, and uh-huh. uh, the, the thing he emphasized was pH. He said, "Like just get your pH." I'm, you know, we're talking about water. He's like, "No, no, no, don't worry about any of that." You know. As long as you got the fundamental basic minerals in there for the yeast to be healthy and for things to occur during the boil and all that, um, you know, just get your pH in range, and then you know you can you can fine tune everything later. It's it's just you got to start with that right pH. That is very true. That really is the bottom line. And you the, get the. And, and what happened to me? Sorry to keep interrupting you, but as no, I think no, about this, uh, what happened to me was so I started out just adjusting for pH, and I'm thinking, okay, later on I will fine tune with the gypsum and the Burton treatments and all that stuff. Uh, once I just get the basics down with the pH and the fermentation, I got that dialed in. Then I'll, you know, and by the time I got to that point, I realized that I didn't need to add all these. Uh, Burton salts and Burtonize the water and you know a lot of gypsum and things like that small adjustments eh, yeah that kind of got it you know a little bit better dialed in but it wasn't anywhere near what you know people were saying you needed right and uh, and it wasn't anything like the types of water that I was was being reported as being used in places places like Burton on Trent and things like that so uh, you know I I just kind of gave up on on that aspect of it I'm like oh, I don't really need it. <laughs> Water's fine. Yeah. And that made me sad, but <laughs> yes. now I understand. Right. Why? <laughs> you can brew a great beer without that. putting lots of neat salts in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really, it, it's actually a good thing. You know, when you look at the big picture, it's good that brewers don't have to recreate, you know, some obscure natural spring water in Bavaria mm-hmm. to make great beer. Mm-hmm. Um, how much time we got? Oh, you got a couple of minutes. Okay, one a couple of interesting things we learned, um, and I mean, I, and I talked to numerous you know brewers around the country, microbrewers, you know, 
um, you know, Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, um, New Glarus, London News, actually. Um, but, you know, they all agreed that when you're brewing a dark beer, you do need more alkalinity in the water to help balance the dark malts. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, yeah, your pH can go a little low. Well, you, if you look at brew shops and you look at, you know, home brewing books like my own and, and Noonan's and Papazian's and, you know, just well, most of them, we all talk about adding chalk to water to raise the alkalinity. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out chalk doesn't work. Hmm. Chalk really doesn't dissolve and if it does dissolve, you can you can if you dissolve it by overpressurizing with carbon dioxide, you know, basically making seltzer water. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about the only way you can get it to work. Mm-hmm. But even if you use chalk in that way, it reacts slowly. Mm-hmm. AJ Delang did some really interesting experiments this last month, where he monitored pH over three hours. Uh, using chalk additions in the mash just to add his added powder, mm-hmm. and then he adds some where, where it's dissolved as well. But he would he found that it would take like three hours for the alkalinity to uh, make a to stabilize and make a stable change in the mash pH. Mm-hmm. You could um, you could get a superficial uh, pH change in the water, you know where else. You know, you pour in some chalk and you take a, a pH reading uh, pH reading right there. And yeah, the pH would be like 8, you know, compared to the 5.4 you're hoping for from 4.9. Um, but as you stir and wait, that pH would start dropping back down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you wait a little while, it would drop right back down to 4.9. Um, it took a lot of chalk and a lot of time for that for the, for it to really raise mash pH. Mm-hmm. Calcium hydroxide on the other hand um, worked better. But in the case of calcium hydroxide, you had the calcium and its residual alkalinity effect according to the Kolbach equation. So you would end up getting about 70% net alkalinity out of it because of the the calcium component. But hydroxide reacts much faster in the mash than uh, mm-hmm. bicarbonates and, and carbonate. Um, in the order of, say, you know, 10 to 15 minutes for the pH to uh, stabilize versus half an hour to an hour. Well, and how are the big brewers doing these adjustments then for their dark beers? How are, um, are, are, a lot of know. them are using hydroxides. Oh, really? Um, okay. Sodium hydroxide, potassium hydroxide, calcium hydroxide. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're doing you know that that heavy a uh, an addition, um, other brewers are you know they they have naturally uh, alkaline water to begin with. Mm-hmm. They're say cutting with RO water or diluting mm-hmm. with you know RO water to get the alkalinity down. Um, they would just cut back on their dilutions mm-hmm. to bring it back. Um, that's and that's that's probably the most common way mm-hmm. uh, a lot of brewers are handling their dark beers, and then in other cases, you know, they're brewing with their standard water and just settling for a low mash pH and mm-hmm. a low beer pH. Mm-hmm. I mean, the beer doesn't taste bad; it's just not 
the same as it would be if it was just two tenths higher. Um, well, and, and people have been using chalk for a long, long time in brewing. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's not like somebody, you know, just tried it recently. This has been going right. on for for a huge amount of time, right? Yeah. The... I, I'm not sure how to... You don't, I, I can't I can't don't think justify the chalk has any effect or... Based that, on... Um, I based mean, on AJ's results, uh-huh. um, monitoring, you know, known, known additions to a known malt, mm-hmm. we were using we were using a malt that he had titrated um, thoroughly, so we knew exactly how it would react at different pHs, um, and then hmm. putting that, making a mash with it, monitoring pH over a couple hours, making known additions of chalk, and seeing no real change mm-hmm. in P- mash pH. I'd be curious to to taste a beer, a couple of beers brewed, you know, side by side with uh, one with chalk and one without, and see what kind of oh, you of taste the chalk difference. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. definitely taste the chalk. I mean, right. that's that is. There's no arguing that. It's just what we're saying is if you you do these chalk additions, right. it's just not effective in raising the mash pH. Right, right. The chalk is still there. Yeah, I wonder if you get. Um, if the the total net effect is somehow similar or as satisfying as if you had just adjusted the pH or not, as long as yeah. you're still within you know certain ranges, that's 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 a, a curious question I think. Yeah. Speaking of curious questions, there's our other great uh, sponsor, Adam and Eve. Yeah. And if you've got some, some curiosity, I suggest you go check it out. Hey, your birthday's out. coming up, isn't it? My, my birthday's coming up. I could use a few gifts. Uh, <laughs> you know, if if a warhead is not in my uh, in my future, I think maybe something from Adam and Eve is. And I'll tell you what, you go to adamandeve.com, you use my name as your offer code, Jamel, J-A-M-I-L, and uh, what you're going to get, you get 50% off of just about any one item in the store. You, I mean, there's just thousands and thousands of items, and I have not seen anything they didn't give the discount on, but I'm sure there is. But um, just about any one item. And just by buying that one item at 50% off, you get three free adult DVDs of your choosing. You choose from categories like uh, anal, amateur, Asian, big breasts, big butts, bisexual, chunky, coeds, fetish, gay, interactive, POV, lesbian, milfs, etc. And... Uh, so you, you get those three free DVDs that you're choosing, and then they're going to throw an extra toy for you or a special gift for you that's uh, so sensual, we can't mention it on the radio, and uh, free shipping. So you buy one, you use Jamel's rough coat, you get one item 50% off, you get free shipping, three free DVDs, a free gift, can't go wrong. So check them out. You can even do it from your mobile phone. You find yourself, uh, oh, I forgot to get Jamel a gift. Uh, <laughs> let me pull out my phone. Let me go to adamandeve.com. Let me order. Let me have that uh, giant dildo for him at, uh, at BNA8. Right? Uh, you know, it's the gifts that keep on giving. Uh, you know, especially if you, you throw in some extra batteries for it. That's the way <laughs> there you go. go. All right. Let's take a short break, and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap up real quick right after this. BN Army, HopTech has a great discount waiting for you. Do you often find it difficult to find specific specialty ingredients for your homebrew recipes? Well, listen to this. 
Hop Tech stocks 59 different grains to choose from, 39 varieties of pellet hops, and 8 kinds of whole leaf hops. And Hop Tech not only carries Y yeast and White Labs yeast for you, but also Fermentus, 04, 5, 6, 23, 33, and T58 Belgian yeast, plus Cooper's Nottingham and Windsor yeasts. Got your recipe ready to go? Pick up some great brew gear like new long and short sleeved shirts, games, and more. Hop Tech's new website is being updated every day with new items. If you don't see it, call the shop. They're open six days a week. BN Army and AHA members get a 10% discount, and active military personnel get 15% off. Visit hoptech.com today for great selection, great service, and a great discount. Hoptech.com. That's it. I've had it. I am never putting hops in my beer again. What? Why? It's just too ridiculous. Insane prices, stupid contracts, high shipping costs, crappy selection. Dude, you need Nico Brew. Nico Brew will rock your f***ing face right the f*** off your f***ing skull. $5 shipping to all 50 states, plus fantastic international rates get you low prices on Nico Brew's great selection of hops and more. Whether you're a home brewer, a pro brewer, or a home brew shop owner, Nico Brew can get you the hops you need in increments big and small, single orders, spot buys, or full contracts. And there's only one place to join the uber-special Secret Elite. Elite Bare Bones Club, where you'll get the best deals anywhere. Holy f***ing shit! NicoBrew.com N-I-K-O-B-R-E-W NicoBrew, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Tonight is the night. We bring the creature to life, Dr. Blitzkrankstein? Yes, J.P. Gore. Everything is perfect for my next fermented creation. My father, the storm is too far away. We'll never have enough power to isomerize the creature's alpha acid. <laughs> yes, J.P. Gore, we will. For I have in my possession the Tower of Power! Glickman's new Tower of Power is the evolution of automation. Control hot liquor, sparge, and mash temps like a pro. The Tower of Power is a high-quality gas-fired rim system that works with your current brewing setup. With ultra-precision, the tower can hold your mash to one-half of a degree Fahrenheit. Precision and repeatability. The Tower of Power is the answer to automatic, fast ramp times. See more at BlickmanEngineering.com. Bring your next creation to life with the Tower of Power. Dr. Blickman's with the Tower of Power, you can probably give me an afternoon at the pub to enjoy. Don't be silly, J.P. Gore. We have beer to brew. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for any beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone certification program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones, no beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed 
and unpretentious. Cicerones are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. All right, BN Army, it's trivia time. What's the only homebrew shop with over 1,000 recipe kits, $4.99 shipping on orders over 100 bucks, and is also home of the Wolf Shirt? The one and only answer is Austin Homebrew Supply. For over 20 years, they've specialized in creating recipes such as the best-selling Texas Blonde Ale, Apocalypso, Hot Bomb 2.0, and Double Chocolate Stout. And they just recently unveiled their small grain kits that produce one gallon of beer. Visit AustinHomebrew.com to browse their extensive catalog of equipment and ingredients. They also have many clone recipes of your favorite commercial beers. They're the exclusive retailer of Brew Vent Yeast Fuel as well, Yeast Nutrient, and the all-new Body Builder. Follow Austin Homebrew Supply on Google Plus to participate in video hangouts on popular brewing topics. So visit AustinHomebrew.com today and make sure you sign up for their weekly email with news and specials. Austin Homebrew Supply, AustinHomebrew.com. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right. Learning about uh, residual alkalinity and... And water. <laughs> water. <laughs> yes. So, um, too. I was probably cutting you off there at some point and uh, you had uh, other thoughts about uh, residual alkalinity and adjusting for your water and tips for well, people to, to you know every time I we do one of these shows I'm sure people are sitting there going like so okay I've understood what you've said now how the hell do I get started yeah where, where do, do I, I do start? now yeah um Water water is complicated, unfortunately. Um, I I learned how complicated when I when I picked up this book project. Um, mm-hmm. Colin and I were just shaking our heads constantly trying to understand you know different findings and different concepts. Um, well, if you shake it the, too much, you're playing with it. Yeah, I think I think a couple of big picture things to keep in mind. One is that. Your mash pH is key. Mm-hmm. You get your mash pH right, your wort pH will be should be right, and your beer pH should be right. Mm-hmm. Um, Improves stability of the beer. You got to yeah. get that final pH right. Yeah, it really does a lot to improve the beer. Um, if you you can take a a bottoms up approach, if you will. And you know, try to say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna create a mineral profile to emulate you know Dortmund's water, mm-hmm. and try to brew a Dortmund beer. That works. Um, we are gonna have to have an, another show where I talk about specific uh, mineral additions and and so on um, as to actually how that those come together. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds it, really complex. It, it gets it gets complex. Um, the the whole bicarbonate carbonate uh, issue. AJ and I came up with a concept that we call Z alkalinity for zeal alkalinity. It's a German word meaning goal. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
if you look at total alkalinity, you're measuring the amount of alkalinity or acid to neutralize alkalinity down to 4.3. But if you're only going to 5.4, your mash pH, that's a lesser value. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of alkalinity that you actually get from the water um, to counteract dark malts is less than the total alkalinity of the water. It's less than the residual alkalinity of the water. Mm-hmm. So, again, there's another whole area where I'd have to, we should have a show and explain how that works. Um, all right. Well, let, let, yeah. let, 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 me, let me jump in here and say, all right, just to wrap this up. Yep. For people to get started, unless you have really soft water, I would just take the water you got, try adding some acid to that, some lactic or phosphoric acid, get into, you know, kind of into the target pH range, and then, uh, you know, a couple of points above, and then make sure that's stable, and mix that with your grains on a on a standard batch of pale ale or whatever it might be right and see what ph you end up with don't freak out if it's not the ideal ph go ahead and brew that beer later on brew that thing again if you were a little high that time you know use acid to drive your ph down to your your target goal mix it with those grains and you should be there and if you're not you could adjust it again but just try that to start with. Just get the pH in the right range, and don't worry about all the other stuff. And mm-hmm. once you've got that basic skill down, everything else becomes so much easier. Then yeah. you can start, you know, when you do different, you know, then go ahead and make a stout. And then see, oh, I need to back off on the amount of acid, X amount. You, know, you can guess. A couple of points, right? Mm-hmm. And then right. you'll you'll get that dialed in, and then you can start worrying about uh, all the other additions and all the other changes. I mean, I think it really, for somebody to get started with water, worrying about water, I think that's the thing to worry about. Just yeah, try that. I, 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 I agree with you, Jamil. Easy you to know. do. The, and, and one, one uh, key point in all of this is that we're saying measure your mash pH. Yes. For that, you need to get a pH meter. Yes. pH test strips just won't cut it, especially if you're a little bit colorblind. (laughs) Get get a pH meter. Get a you know you're gonna have to spend a bit a little bit of money, but you can get a fairly decent one for eighty bucks. Mm -hmm. Um, You can and that'll that will give you you know pretty accurate readings and you know it makes a a confident basis that you can make adjustments from. Well, there you go. A confident basis to make adjustments from. That's what we all need is a confident basis. All right. Excellent show, John. Uh, if you're listening live, stay tuned. We're going to do a, uh, a Bruce Strong uh, Q&A. Uh, your questions that you ask, you send them into Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com. We'll label them with Q&A, and we'll try and get to those uh, during shows as, as we can. Um, there's a lot of them, but we'll, we'll try and keep up with them. Uh, yeah, a few hundred to go through 300 and something <laughs> okay all right and then uh if you're not listening live then you got about two weeks to the next show if you get a chance to go by the brewery network store 
check out all the fine things we got there. There's books, hats, glassware, uh, the Warhead growlers. There's all sorts of great stuff in there. And when you buy that stuff, it goes to the bottom line of the Brewing Network. Helps keep shows like this going. Helps keep Justin happy, and that keeps us all going. So uh, don't don't hesitate to check all that out. And uh, don't forget to check out our great sponsor, Blickman Engineering. BlickmanEngineering.com paying for the show so you don't have to that should be their new motto not innovating homebrew paying for the show so you don't have to (laughs) till then Bruce Strong Bruce Strong everybody